This week's guest is Justin Vale, who currently resides in Toronto, Ontario. Justin has been working in the industry, closing in on nearly two decades now. Justin also happens to be co-owner of Sugar Run in downtown Kitchener. We talk with Justin about how he got his start in the industry in his early 20s while he was pursuing a musical career. We talk about the benefits of starting out working in a chain restaurant where structure and rigidity are beneficial in your development. We discuss how bar design and appearance are insights into the personality of the bar owner. And Justin also discusses how the change in roles to ownership affects staffing and your personal life. As always, it's another terrific episode that you're definitely going to enjoy. Okay, we're back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name's Kip Saunders. I'm the host, the producer extraordinaire is Dan Soretta. What's going on with you, buddy? Uh, not too much. Uh, just being awesome and hanging out, as always. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and how are things going with you? How is the... Uh, now that lockdown has subsided and capacity limits are coming back and... Yeah, I think things are open up a little bit. You can come by Sugar Run, downtown Kitchener, or Babylon Sisters, uptown Waterloo, if you want to check out what's happening in the bar scenes right now. Mm-hmm. Definitely things are opening up. I think people are a little less nervous about being out in public. And uh, apparently, in a couple of weeks, we well, we're recording this on, what, February 22nd? 22nd. So a couple of weeks, we're done with the vaccine mandates also. Oh, nice. Everyone Looks like f- those fucking truckers did it, yeah, man. The truckers, the truckers <laughs> did it. <laughs> Everyone from the Freedom Rallies can finally come in and order a couple, a couple of glasses uh, of wine. Can't wait to meet these numbskulls. <laughs> yeah, no, they're hanging out in Cambridge for sure. Oh, well. <laughs> so we have a great guest as always, Justin Vale, my business partner at Sugar Run, is going to be joining us very shortly. Check out the archives. We just had our 100th episode. That's right. Um, we were joined by Matt Hewson and Janine Saunders. Correct, correct. And then previous to that, we had whom? Sassy Ray Burlesque. Uh, oh, yeah. sorry, uh, Jonathan Gushi was number 99, and Sassy Jonathan Ray Gushu, was prior yes. to that. And then Heather Scholestal, Dominique Jackson, and Andrew Da, Cadrian Pasul, and Elise Sergery were the last eight or nine episodes yeah so check out the archives you want to hit up all those some really good episodes there mm-hmm. i guess that's all we need to say about that we should tell you that if you like the show then the best way to help us is to subscribe rate and review if you want to be a guest on the show and you've got uh, experience in the service industry then dm us at info at the industry podcast or you can email us directly at info at the industry club. As always, a huge shout-out to Zach Hanna for all the great artwork. I actually forgot to shout him out on the 100th episode, which right. kind of makes me a dick. But So sorry about that, Zach. What do you mean, what do you mean kind of? <laughs> Zach's a huge part of what, he do, of what we do here. He's been amazing doing all the artwork for our Instagram page this whole time. You can check him out at, uh, what is it again? Sorry? ZachHanna.co. Yes, ZachHanna.co. So, so that, that is Z-A-K-H-A-N-N-A-H dot C-O, both on Instagram and his website. Great. So, uh, oh, I should also mention um, new food providers at both of my bars. Um, the wonderful Little Mushroom Catering is going to be supplying food for both Sugar Run and Babylon Sisters. So you're going to want to come by the bars and check the new menus out. And I guess that's all we got to talk about. Fuck yeah. All right, show's over. All right. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, our guest today is Justin Vale, one of my oldest and best friends, and my current business partner, Sugar Run. How you doing, Justin? I'm good, man. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it only uh, only took 100 episodes. Yeah, it took 100. Well, I mean, I speak to you more than anybody else in my life so you know i think uh we, we we've held off for good reason i think yeah. <laughs> what's another hour on your day off yeah right yeah. yeah and now you're making me do it video so i have to see you too which is uh, you know i'm get, sure it's not ideal for you either get you know? to see so, me <laughs> is how that's pronounced yeah yeah um, right <laughs> all right well i feel like i already know most of these stories but for our listeners let's start with um how you broke into the service industry and how long you've been doing this i think uh it's funny i was talking about how long i've been doing this for um the other week and i think uh i've been actively like serving and bartending um i'm 38 now so since i was probably about 21 years old i would think but uh like many people getting into the industry like i was sort of on the periphery as uh being a musician so chasing that dream you know little tours regionally uh playing in bars and being really broke but uh not wanting to you know work 
all the time <laughs> and I had not have the freedom to just go away when I needed to. So yeah, it just kind of, it kind of bled that way, you know, from being a musician, meeting bar owners, meeting bartenders, drinking with them. And then eventually um, just getting, getting a shot. Uh, actually, I think uh, you might've been somewhat responsible for my first actual serving gig. Funny enough. I think that's um, true. Actually, I lied for you. Yeah. You lied for me. And then, then you, I don't know if you remember this, but you set me up on the interview because it was uh, your buddy um, later, our buddy who was, who was doing the interview and told him to give me a hard time. And uh, yeah, I was, I, w- I was sitting there getting, uh, getting grilled like a police uh, interrogation by this guy until he finally uh, asked me about the Jays and uh, so that said that he knew you and I had the job like before the interview started, which was, uh, you know. uh, yeah. And that was that Wildcraft. So that was that Wildcraft. Yeah. 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 So, Oh, we've had a lot of people have uh, worked through the charcoal system on the show before previously. So talk to us right. a little bit about the experience you feel like you gained working in more of sort of a corporate type restaurant. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I think I I don't make any sort of like bones about making my distaste for the general court, uh, corporate atmosphere of a restaurant um, known. But uh, I think actually starting to work in one was, was valuable because they're so adamant about things like steps of service mm-hmm. and just like general protocols and these little things that, you lots know, of, might be lots, lots of structure, right? Yeah, lots of structure, like tons of structure, tons of uh, repetition and a lot more rigid, you know, and like, I think both of us, you, you Kip and Kip and I, we, uh, we like to have, um, you know, comfortable, maybe a little more loose uh, yeah. atmosphere with our, with our employees. So, you know, it, it feels like home while we, we, we still expect high levels of service and, but, you know, with, uh, you know, some of the rigidity of, of like a corporate restaurant, we don't really subscribe to that. And I don't think a lot of smaller places do either. Um, but these are actually things that are, are good to know and good to, good to hone your skills and, you know, work with, you know, smaller sections and work your way into bigger sections. And yeah, just all the little, like right down to uh, like, you know, learning to carry a tray in the, in the way they do it. Like these, these things are, are important. And uh yeah, I think working, starting in a corporate atmosphere w- was good for me in that sense. I actually have come along to the sort of notion that it's almost desired to have somebody work in one of those spots first before they come. Because it was always this sort of scene for a while where you'd go to like, oh, the local neighborhood spot and see if you can get a job there and that'd be your first serving job or whatever. But I kind of feel like you're better suited for your own development, but also for your employer, if you've kind of cut your teeth on one of these corporate spots and you've sort of learned the basics first. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I totally agree. Sometimes, definitely not all the time, but a lot of times it can be very obvious who, Mm. you know, who has had some time in that atmosphere and who has, you know, just done, done the neighborhood sort of pub, pub training. Um, and I, I forget who, uh, was, was saying this, but I remember when we were opening Sugar Run and we were talking about how to get our kitchen filled, somebody was, was talking to me about actually seeing resumes with things like, you know, a sous chef at like Boston pizzas or Kelsey's or whatnot on the menu. And, you know, mentioning that, you know, a lot of people see this as like a downside, but the truth of the matter is, is like, as long as they have other experiences, you know, like those sorts of um, like restaurants are training their shells, their their chefs and their their line cooks to be just really hone in on costing and being mm-hmm. cost effective and being efficient. And you know, it's like like military brigade, you know, and that's valuable to mm-hmm. small businesses. Where, quite frankly, things like cost and food costing can be, you know, a, a much bigger issue than than some of those bigger places. And I also like we don't have at a smaller independent spot, A, the time and B, the staff to the, like we can't afford to staff someone just to train people how to do that. So it sort of exactly. falls, sort of falls on us and we don't have the time to do it. So it's kind of like it's it's so much better if someone else has already shown them that before they come to us. Yeah, I mean. That's the thing, like, it's, and it's like, you know, a small business, like small businesses like ours, you know, it's, um, we have, we have expertise in like one area, 
sort of, you know what I mean? Like I can bartend, I can work some tables. I can tell you if your food tastes good to me, but other than that, I can't help you in the kitchen. I'm, I'm almost at yeah, your yeah. mercy. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, finding, finding people who have come from, you know, a, a well honed and sort of proven system like that. Uh, I mean, that's valuable experience in my eyes, uh, for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We found that out about the chef side of it, the hard way. What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's putting it lightly. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll just tell this story real quickly, but and then we'll get back to you, Justin, but, uh, no, that's all right. Are we, are we going to talk about the carrot? Are we? Yeah. Not? Yeah. So <laughs> I'll just get, I'm going to let you tell most of it. I'll just give a quick preamble. We had hired our first chef for sugar run. He delivered a knockout tasting at my apartment while we were still doing the build. And we're like, this guy's got it. He just knows what he's doing. He was talking a big game. I had known him for a long time. He was definitely a decent guy. And But then once once we opened, he just seemed like completely lost. Like almost to the point where we started second guessing whether he had had someone else do the cooking for that tasting at my apartment. Because, totally something, yeah, something wasn't jiving. And... The, uh, the counts were off. There was way too much waste that wasn't being reported. Uh, uh, numerous, numerous problems. But the biggest problem was we weren't selling any food at all. And and also getting some complaints about it. So then I'll, I'll let you take the story from here on the fateful night that our chef was trying to figure it all out. Well, yeah. I mean, I think uh, after a while, you and I were starting to, to ride him a bit, you know, and say, hey, can we get a, a decent job done, essentially? You yeah. know, and as you were saying, like food was coming out you know, overcooked, undercooked, uh, like he's just hitting all the check marks here, yeah. you know? And, uh, yeah. So after time of, of sort of trying to get him to figure this out, figure this out, he, I mean, he was a person who used to just like to sit at the bar and pontificate constantly mm-hmm. after his shift. <laughs> so, uh, one night he's sitting there at the bar, uh, with his, uh, you know, grand book of ideas that he likes to draw in and i'm you know being a hopeful optimist that you know i am um, i think he's you know jotting down some inspired recipes something maybe you know a new formula for costing our food and i happened to walk over uh from behind the bar to see if he wanted a drink and uh, managed to glance down at what he was what he was doing and uh what he was doing was sketching a picture of a carrot. Uh, <laughs> the whole time. Which, and if you had seen the look on his face, it was like he was lost in thought of like how he was going to, because we had just had the conversation with him about how we need to do something to improve the menu or get some food sales going. Cause we weren't justifying his salary at this point. And, <laughs> That's what he had come up with. He was working overtime. He was chewing his pen, looking up toward the heavens, you know, like he just looked so inspired. I wanted a peek to see what he was doing. And uh, lo and behold, the answer to all of our problems was uh, a carrot, a poorly drawn carrot. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, needless to say, he doesn't work there anymore. Uh, And then then shortly after, we started outsourcing our cooking. Once again, check out Little Mushroom. (laughs) Oh, it's okay. Let's get back to you. Uh, So you eventually moved to Toronto uh, to sort of more pursue your uh, musical career at the time, but also needing some money, you get back into the bar game at some point. Yeah, right. So uh, I'm I'm in Toronto and I'm... um, you know, doing music and obviously needing money. So I ended up working my way around. I found myself serving uh, in uh, the Weston Harbor Castle uh, at a restaurant called Tula that also would occasionally let me hop on bar, which was good. And it's, you know, serving, quite frankly, to my mind, sort of like, you know, expensive, sort of dated, like business guy food, you know, like the... uh, the scallops and the giant half shell from 1985, that sort of thing, you know? Um, and I'm, I'm serving these tables in a, in a full suit, uh, which, you know, for a 20 something year old musician feels like a big defeat. uh, Yeah. Quite honest (laughs) with you. But yeah, I'm I'm there and, uh, probably my first actual foyer into like, uh, like really bartending was just at a, a, a terrific local bar that I used to just frequent and became friends with. It was called unit. Uh, right. Which was, uh, but, yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Before I get to you, don't you have a, a, a story from Weston Harbor Castle about Andrea Bagnani? 
Oh yes. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah. For, for those of you who don't know, and believe me, at this point in this man's career, you have no reason to know who it is. Andrea Bargnani was once <laughs> no. a professional basketball yeah, player. Yeah, he was the first Another overall team. pick, the great white nope. Yeah, He'll, yeah, exactly. Il Mago, <laughs> I think they used to call him. Um, yeah, it, it yeah. Seemed, I mean, it like, like a good idea at the time, hmm. but uh, did it though? I mean, did it? Yeah. I was like, you know, nothing's like having a seven foot tall. A NBA player who's scared to be anywhere near to the basket, you know. What I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. like that's a recipe for True. success, right? That, there. Was, that was the Brian Colangelo era, was it not? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this was nearing like when I was uh, finishing my term at Tula, so you know, and, I, and I'm sure you've both experienced, you know, when you're on the way out the door. Uh, at times, <laughs> you can be a little more free with your opinions, you know. But this was after a. <laughs> Another showing uh, where he's, um, you know, he's played for the Raptors. And one night he, uh, you know, the night, that night or the night previous, he had uh, one of his performances shooting, I don't know, putting down 15 points, but letting in like 98, you know, and, uh, <laughs> being, being seven feet tall and never rebounding. So uh, he actually showed up in the restaurant and he was having dinner. Um, this big dripping greasy plate of gnocchi from what I remember. And uh I was serving his table and uh, yeah, at the end of the night, you know, uh, put down a check and I just, I, I asked him if there was anything else he'd like. And he was like, no, he's fine. And I had to tell him, I just need you to D up. I just <laughs> need you to D up. And uh, yeah, you know, he looked kind of surprised and uh, I, I distinctly remember not receiving a tip that evening, so, um, <laughs> which uh, I don't know. I think it was worth it. You know, maybe yeah. he's the one. He needed the tip. That that, evening, well, I I think, so. it, it yeah. might have been worth it, but it didn't work. It didn't work. Not, not in the least. Yeah, not in the least. So you start at unit and that uh, as like that used to be one. Well, I mean, it seemed like because I've lived it here in Kitchener, Waterloo, the whole time that you were been in Toronto. But I would always come up for games or concerts or whatever. And wherever you and a couple of our other friends who lived in Toronto were drinking at that time was pretty much my de facto place to drink also, because once you guys found a place that you liked, that's where we went, <laughs> which was yeah. fine. Yeah. There were always good spots, but like unit was this cool, like definitely like a tiny little cool um, classic Toronto independent joint. Yeah, so it was, uh, to be quite honest, I think to this day, it's still, I mean, nostalgia plays a big part, but it's still like probably my favorite bar in the city. It's long gone, mm. uh, unfortunately. Um, the owners had moved, moved on to uh, uh, bigger and better things and just couldn't, uh, you know, didn't didn't want to keep the place going. But it was around for about seven years. But yeah, right next to the, the Gladstone Hotel, uh, you know, it was the, the no sign era. So you did no sign and just like every... I love the bar a because of the people that would come in. Um, it just attracted such a great crowd. And, um, the staff there were all just, uh, I mean, they were fantastic. Like they were either a amazing at what they did or a B, uh, you know, figures in the community that people just like loved being around and, um, everything about it. Like the, I just remember distinctly, the way it looked. I'm sure you guys have bars like that, that just like strike a chord with you. You know what I mean? And it feels like home and uh, yeah, the way it looked every, every piece of it, like this old, this really old, like 1920s or uh, wooden refrigerator that used to have the, uh, used to need the giant ice block to keep uh, things cold inside, oh, um, but wow. they, they retrofitted it. Right. So there was actually was a motor, but it just like, you know, it just, it made me really fall in love with, like bars beyond the fact that like, Hey, this is a place that I, I can get drunk in. Right. Like sort of the aesthetics of a bar and like, exactly. What, and like sort of focusing in on what makes a bar look cool or what makes a bar feel cool. Well, yeah. Yeah. It makes a bar look cool and feel cool. But more than that, like the idea, like I, when I was sort of like, you know, when, when we did sugar run and you, you know, graciously like said that, you know, Justin go have free reign to do like design or do what, you know, like try to make the place look how we want it to look. Um, you know, I think I've mentioned to you, uh, that like one of the things I really like about bars, um, as even now as a person who doesn't drink anymore is the fact that like they can be these glimpses into the personality of people who own the place mm -hmm. you know they can feel really personal and it can be like a separate world like you walk off to a street and it can be a separate world and i like that idea i don't know it's just like a, a venture outside of 
you know, normal life, real life, which is the street. And then you walk to the door and then you're in whatever world that person wants to put you in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like that. Yeah. And we lucked out in, I mean, I guess this makes sense. We were very good friends before we started doing it. Somehow maintained friendship after going on three years now. (laughs) We've we've had rocky points. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) But um, the one thing I remember when we were planning the bar, it was almost like no, like I'll give you an example. Like when I did White Rabbit, my business partner and I had not talked about any of this shit at all. And we just went and did it. And then it was like very clear, very quickly that we had completely different ideas about what we wanted to do. Whereas right. I feel like when you and I sat down to first discuss doing a place together, like when we talked about the aesthetics of it, about how we both wanted to look, we were immediately on the exact same page, like right down to like how we wanted the back bar to look, how we wanted the bar to look, how we wanted the bar to be the focus of the place, how we wanted banquets, like everything. And then it was kind of like, right. like, like you mentioned where I was like, okay, I'm not good with the details of this. I can see in my head how I want it to look, but I I have no, right. I, I can't make it happen. So that was when you came in and like, right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, if I, I mean, if anybody had seen the space, I mean, I've got a picture uh, that I don't know if you've even seen, maybe you've seen it, but of the bar very uh, shortly after we signed the lease for you to be like, you know, you know, put that trust in me, a person who's literally never done this before was pretty big and kind of scary. But yeah, like when we, when we talked about it, like we talked about the concept of the bar and the things that we liked in bars. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were, we were definitely on, on the same page, which definitely made it easy, you know, yeah. in the terms of like, you know, I didn't have to like, you know, we didn't get in an argument and say about like, I want uh, the back bar to be arched and it's worth the money to, to build it that way. We just both, you know, we agreed that, that it was good. You know what I We need the arches. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that made it uh, very easy to do. But yeah, I just, uh, I loved, I loved like helping like to create the, the feeling of our bar. And that's one of the things I, I actually first experienced, uh, at unit was, you know, really taking that all in and feeling how, how personal it can be. Actually, um, well, like after the show's over, I'll get you to send me some of those before pictures. And what we'll do yeah. is when, when this episode airs, we'll uh, post some before and after shots on the Sugar Run Instagram. Yeah. Because yeah. people are always interested in what it used to look like there. And I always describe it as a murder basement. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it pretty much is. I, uh, I, I like to describe about it as. Room? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like to describe it as an asbestos storage unit. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that was, that was daunting, but yeah, like, uh, it was, it was just so like, yeah, sorry. No, I don't mean to backtrack, but like, yeah, the unit was, yeah. was great for that. And so many, so many reasons. And that's one of the things I really took from it, you know? And I think, uh, I think it was pretty evident too at times during our build, um, you know, clearly like there were times where I was holding things up and like, you know, with, with the, well, some of the design stuff. And, um, it was because it was, I, I was taking it so personally, you know, mm. like, and uh, it's funny because uh, I try not to talk too much, but when I have a customer who's, you know, very interested in asking questions, I can literally tell anybody a story about every inch of that place, our railing, mm. the, the tile, each, each lighting fixture, you know, all that yeah. stuff. I can tell everybody a story. And uh, yeah, I think I, I like, I like it for that reason. I, I do too. I mean, obviously it costs a lot of money and we had a lot of delays and a lot of stress getting that place open, but <clears throat> Right. I agree with you. It when I look around there and people ask me like what it used to be, I'm like, there's not an inch of this place that you and I didn't touch. And sure we had contractors, but some of the shit we were just sitting there doing ourselves, like the fucking wallpaper in the bathrooms, which was a Yeah, that was the worst thing. That was one of the worst things I've ever experienced in my life was wallpapering. Like, you know. You guys put the wallpaper up? Yeah. Well actually it ended up being mostly adjusted. Uh my wife Janine, who was on the last show, uh, and I did one of the rooms, the um, we have sort of a, a secret room there. We'll just call it that for anyone who hasn't been to Sugar Run yet. You should come and check it out. Uh, we did that room, but Justin and his girlfriend at the time did. Well, you it and I bathrooms. Yeah, you and I did the one bathroom, and then you and her did the other bathroom. I think is how it worked. But uh, you and I did. Yeah, you and I did. Ha- you and I did half of the the banana leaf. Right. I'll call it the banana leaf washroom. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then the other washroom, which is like, I mean, what kind of idiot chooses this wallpaper? 
it's, the, uh, it's it's like geometric <laughs> patterns and you gotta match them up yeah and oh it's, it was this, it was yeah. the sticker type too it wasn't the kind that you put the glue down oh. and it was a fucking like i i actually I, I was in there originally trying to help you and rachel but like i there was too many people and the bathroom was too small and i and it was just like this is not working so i'm like okay you guys got to do it i went yeah. and bought some other shit that we needed to do the build of the time but yeah, yeah that was a fucking nightmare Unbelievable! I was I I think I've never been so close to wanting to hang myself <laughs> as uh, that you know halfway through that bathroom and to cap it all off uh, after we left I was so worked up I'm pretty sure me and Rachel got in a, an argument in our <laughs> on my drive back to Toronto and then uh, mid mid argument I got pulled over and was given a like a two hundred and thirty dollars speeding <laughs> ticket uh, so that's how that night capped off oh fuck yeah uh, Janine and I got into an argument at one point too but she even warned me she's like we're not allowed to fight if we're going to do this together but there's no way to avoid it you t- I, I, I defy I defy anyone to put up wallpaper with another human being and not no. fight. <laughs> honestly there there are there are a couple things in my life being you know 38 i've learned that i will never do myself again i will just pay people to do it and it's move moving and and uh wallpapering like i'm i'm happy to eat that cost i will never do that stuff again my house was full of wallpaper when i moved in i thought it was the tool of the fucking devil yeah so (laughs) i remember i helped you peel some of that yeah taking it down sucks too but not as bad as putting it up right because taking it down was a fucking nightmare oh it's awful well, getting the glue off is sucks yeah. when you're pulling it down. So one of the, uh, yeah, so we did touch like every inch of that spot. I remember I, like, the other thing was doing stuff that like we're not qualified to do, like just trying to figure it out on the fly to save some costs here and there. And well, yeah, yeah, that's Sorry, uh, no. I was just gonna say that's like another thing. Like now that I've ventured into to, to ownership, it's just like, I mean, you kind of you kind of do everything, right? Yeah. Like you kind of have to do everything you know like at one point um like since we've been open i was i mean you remember the first summer when we had the air conditioning problem with the <laughs> yeah. glycol and i'm like hanging off of the roof trying to trying to refill this industrial yeah. air conditioner and it's like <laughs> you know um <laughs> what like I was, yeah, yeah. I, I had to do that too in the winter one time yeah. we, you had to do it in the winter once too right because yeah. uh and it was like you're on the top of the roof it's fucking snow and ice <laughs> Hanging on, trying to, and the door stuck, so you have to yank it, and then you're just like, "What? Our landlord's solution for having uh, an inefficient industrial um, air conditioner for our building um, that uses glycol uh, to keep things cool, instead of like replacing it or repairing it properly, it was to have like tenants scale uh, the roof, um, <laughs> you know." <laughs> and, <laughs> depend mostly on any any like you know sort of arachnid tendencies we may have to stay yeah. stay against this air conditioner and fill it up with glycol <laughs> and get it started again um which is like n- not only terrifying but like th- like i mean there's a chance that we've done it wrong and it's yeah. broken more why don't you just why don't you get a fucking repair we don't know how to do this yeah. shit We're, he's talking he's telling me on the phone how to do it i'm using my phone as a flashlight because it's the middle of the night <laughs> And I and it's raining, and you're hanging on to that stupid fucking little ladder. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "What are we doing here?" But yeah. Justin, you definitely had to do that way more than I did. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I know, but you do. I'm, I'm, I'm smaller, so it would have yeah. hurt less. I guess if I fell the five stories. But yeah. Yeah. it's funny though that like how. They, you're exactly right the, that you once you've moved into the ownership side, if you're, if you're in a small independent spot like ours are, you, like you find yourself doing shit that is like, like this is not why I got into the bar business. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like, yeah, you know, like with, I think for a lot of people who end up in the service industry, that a lot of them are just doing it and they're happy to do that. A lot of them are doing it as a vehicle to make money to do something they really want to do or travel or what have you, or do music. Um, but f- uh, for the rest, for a large portion of us, it's like to get into the ownership side at some point, you feel like that's what you want to do. So talk a little bit about now that you've done that and like, are you enjoying it? Do you, like, or is was it what you thought it was going to be? Talk about the frustrations, talk about things you like and don't like about them. Yeah. I mean, this, it could turn into a very lengthy conversation. Yeah. Um, there's definitely, I mean, it's like, it's like anything in life. I think um, there's things I, I really enjoy about it and, you know, you take a lot of pride in, but like, 
And the, the day-to-day, you know, uh, when, when you look at your, your day-to-day, there are definitely things that are incredibly frustrating, you know, and uh, you're taken back by what well, I'm taken back by. Um, and it's just like, you don't, I mean, it's going into it. It's like, I expected it. I expected to be doing more. I expected to have my hands in all different, you know, facets of this business to keep it running. But the reality of it definitely feels different. You know, it yeah. definitely looks different, uh, which, which is good and bad. Like anything I do find, I, I hate one thing I hate about myself is, you know, when I was a, a bartender and you're working for whoever, you know, and you get to that point when you're like, Oh, the bosses, you know, the bosses, they're always, chirping this and that and uh, about about money and you know dollars and you know you clocked in late and all this stuff now it's like the fact that i think about money almost drives me crazy you know mm-hmm. it's like i feel like such a sellout you know yeah, but uh, um the fact of the matter is it's like uh, you, you kind of have to you kind of have to think about waste and like you know i was uh you know every time glasses break so does my heart, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's my big thing. That's what I hate the most, you know, because it used to be that like, oh, you know, I'm a bartender, glass broke, it's busy, you know, whatnot. but now I watch uh, a server drop an entire tray of water glasses. And all I can think about is now having to wait three days to get them back in and pay for them, you know? And it's right. like, it's, it's not a big deal. These things happen, but like, you know, I almost kind of hate myself for, for now thinking of it you know, these days. Yeah. Right? But, you think about money a lot, which is something you never think about when you're just making it behind the bar. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. You always have cash on your hand and it seems to be yeah. easy to get. Now it's yeah. like you constantly think about the money that's going out, uh, which right. I, I, I'll tell you for me, it sucked a lot of the fun out of it. Have you found that as well? Yeah, I mean, definitely the uh, so I think um, you were listing all the reasons that people get into the industry. And um, one one of the reasons you forgot, and I think is if we're all being honest with ourselves, is because, uh, you know, it might be like, we're interested in cocktails, we, we do music, we do this and that. But if we're all being honest with ourselves, I think there's a a good percentage of us who also get into it because we get to continue staying up late, uh, mm-hmm. hanging, hanging out and drinking, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's a good career to, uh, to keep going with that. And, and it's like, it can be, it can be a, a, a fun, you know, industry to work in. Like, let's be honest, especially when you're young, you know, um, and you're a, you're a social person. Um, uh, and that's just like kind of not, the case any longer really um it's uh so yeah um it's 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 not quite as fun although you know i'm i'm still behind the bar and it does feel worth it to me when i uh you know you run into those customers who are genuinely really happy to be there and enjoying their experience and just you, you you have the time to talk with them and you know really make them feel like this is their place like that actually means a lot to me mm-hmm. and it, it actually means more to me now that it's my bar um, mm-hmm. instead of doing it for somebody else's so yeah i agree with that though times that i still have fun are when like you come into a, like if i come into one of my places and it's busy and the music's just how i like it and the lighting's perfect and it's full and everybody's having fun and like immediately that just puts me in the best mood ever because my whole goal and I think you would probably agree with me is creating this amazing experience for people to come and hang out and just super enjoy and like when you can stop thinking about all the uh, millions and millions of annoyances of doing this for a career and just focus on holy shit this is what I wanted this to be you see like just a large group of people having an amazing time in your spot that's when it's impossible not to have fun no it's it, yeah i mean it, it, it really is a good feeling you know and especially with a, a place like um like sugar run we uh, it's obviously a lot has gone into it to like i was talking about before make it personal uh, like personal make it charming to to give an experience you know like we could have just opened you know, your blanket, like room for drinking, you know what I mean? Like white walls and, you know, those exist and there's a time and a place for them too, but we did something more personal. So when you get to see it become personal for other people, that's, that's a pretty cool thing, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it does make it worthwhile sometimes, but there are, how do you feel things have changed sort of 
for you as uh, like go, moving from employee to owner and dealing with staffing and uh, like and and like even how that's affected your personal life yeah staffing is uh i mean especially now like post sort of this pandemic area we're in has become a huge challenge finding people like so many people have left the industry um which is you know uh quite sad and but also understandable um as we were all i don't think i'm off, offsides for saying completely abandoned in yeah. in what's happened and in terms of uh you know, just overall dealing with staff, it starts to like it has it has bled into my personal life a bit because you're always thinking about like my staff uh, are also out there representing the business, and if they're happy, then customers will be happy, mm-hmm. right? So, you, I find I try to tend to their needs, um, and you know, and also like I'm the type of person who is trying to find that line between like, you know, I mean, I hate the word like boss, manager, whatever, you know what I mean? It's just like doing that. But also like, I'm, I'm a person who just likes people and likes to be people's friends, you know? So it's hard um, for me, at least it's actually been kind of hard finding that line um, and probably took a little while for me to settle into it. And quite frankly, I'm still probably learning, you know? Um, Yeah. And like, you're also working alongside them as well. So that's like, which is also a whole different dynamic. Not all owners are doing that. So that adds an, like an, an additional sort of, like, there's a weird line to be drawn when you're their boss, but you're also their coworker at the same time, making tips with them, whatever. Right. So, yeah, 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 for sure. It is like, it, it can, uh, feel uncomfortable at times and uh i'm sure at times it's a little awkward for for them too and i really try to reiterate that like you know we're we're on the floor we're we're like a team and working and uh if things need to get done like i i'm not somebody who's overly sensitive when when we're working if it's busy things need to get done just yell at me you know yeah. that's cool if you notice something that needs to get done and you're bogged down just yell it at me that's fine you know mm-hmm. and uh, i'm sure it is a little weird for um, especially when they're starting for staff to be like, okay, well, like, how do I ask him to do this? How do right. I like yell at him to do this sort of thing? Yeah, it definitely is a, uh, an interesting dynamic, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually even struggled with. So, I mean, I like to think I'm a pretty personable guy in regular life and like got lots of friends and I can talk to people on a podcast or whatever. But when it comes to business stuff, I'm very direct and can be borderline curt when just like because I just got a lot of my mind trying to run two businesses my phone's always going off with one or the other so like if I'm very direct and just like let's get to the point let's like let's just deal with it and I found that there's been sensitivities to that and I'm like okay one more thing to think about (laughs) like is the sensitivity of the person you're talking to which is important but but sometimes i find it frustrating as well it's just like look i'm just talking business right now let's just get it done you know yeah and it's interesting because like uh like you know that's where you and me differ so i had the opposite problem like i I had to learn to become more curt because it's like even like managing like i've managed uh like i was like at other places um like the brewery I was at before this. Uh, but like, you know, it's it's even a different dynamic just managing as it is from like owning your own place, right? Mm-hmm. So like I had to, yeah, I had to maybe learn how to be more curt, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Cause that's, that is not, I don't think, that, that isn't my nature. I, I don't believe, no. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so one more thing that you're sort of famous for in the service industry is workplace injury. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's run through some of the un- most unbelievable ways, and I don't mean to make light of them because you seriously hurt yourself a number of times. But if we just run through, like it's no one's even going to believe this. So let's just start by saying this: all of these things actually legitimately happened, and let's talk about some of the more crazy ways you've hurt yourself on the job. And, and let me let me preface this by saying he's not a klutz. This none of these were his fault. Yeah. I mean, like, how have I been hurt on the job? I mean, like that I was uh, electrocuted pretty uh, <laughs> heartily by a glass washer. At, start uh, at the, coming at in hot. <laughs> yeah, coming at in the brewery hot. I worked at before this. And yeah. I also at one point, this is the worst. 
I'm, I'm not going to name the bar because I loved. I actually loved working there, and uh, I love the, the the dude who owns it, and uh, it's a really independent place, and it was a great place to work. Just uh, to you know, to preface this, uh, but I cut the uh, the tip of my pinky finger off uh, oh. one time. I like the the not not the whole tip, but like right at the corner with like this fancy citrus peeler, but just laced into it one night, and I was the only person working because it's a really small bar. So this happens and, uh, I am just a fountain of horror and blood. Um, <laughs> so I rush over to the first aid kit and without exaggeration or any lie whatsoever, I open it up and in nothing but empty candy bar wrappers. Uh, so uh, I, I eventually had, yeah, uh, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was funny, I guess. Uh, in retrospect, so you uh, fashion a band-aid out of it, the Snickers wrappers. Uh, yeah, no, I used. Uh, I found some duct tape, so I used that and right. like, a couple of latex gloves to create a mitten for the rest of the evening because <laughs> I had to finish the shift because I'm the only one working. Mm. Um, so I mean, that's happened. I don't even know. I, I once uh, I once lopped the top of my finger off on one of the, on a mandolin, and I was warned several times. I was I was cutting cucumbers for garnish, and yeah. uh, or no, for I think we were muddling them. And uh, this was a rabbit, and uh, like my chef was like, "Just be careful when you get to the near the end." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I think I know how to do." It. Whoop! <laughs> it goes to the top of my right. finger. Those things right. are fucked up. But you also, uh, what happened when you fucked up your hand? That really. That brutal way. Oh, when, at, we were, uh, when we were pitching the other bar. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. So this was uh, at the the same place that electrocuted me. That was actually, that's pretty, you know what? I'm, I don't think I'm famous for workplace injuries. I think I'm famous for workplace industry uh, injuries at this particular one. Yeah, bar. maybe so that's it. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. um, but with my hand, it was a, uh, a walk-in fridge door that had been broken forever. And we'd been complaining about it to get fixed. Uh, it eventually like the track snapped and the door kind of fell and crushed my hand um, sort of between the door and the wall or the hinge. Um, and uh, surprisingly, nothing was broken, but this thing was like very large purple for a good two weeks, uh, two and a half weeks. Um, I mean, you, you saw You should have seen the side of it. His hand was like, well, the one hand was at least four times the size of the other one. I remember we... <sighs> Had, and I hadn't seen him yet. He had told me it happened over the phone. He was coming to town. We were going to pitch. Uh, we were still building Sugar Run, but we were in the, like, I I can get pretty, uh, I don't know what the word for it is, because um, I just can't think of it right now. But sometimes I just get like, okay, let's do another thing. Let's do another thing. And don't turn down any opportunities. And I said, I still very much feel that way, but some, it comes available to pitch these um, Korean gentlemen on another bar in a condominium that I thought was a good opportunity for us. So Justin came and we had a different, we had another idea. Justin came down and he had told me about the injury, but not really the extent of it. He just told me what happened. He really fucked up his hand and he shows up and we were getting lunch so we could discuss the pitch before we went to the pitch. And I've never seen him more furious in my life, and because he couldn't, it was his, it was his eating hand, and like, <laughs> so he was like trying to eat a salad, but his hand looked like literally like from a Looney Tunes cartoon when when like someone gets hit in the hand with a hammer, and it's like expands to like this ridiculous, like a cartoonish size compared to the other one. And Justin's trying to go to work on this salad with his left hand, and. <laughs> Like just stabbing at it. I thought he was going to go right through the plate. I'm like, how are we going to go do this pitch? But then we get to the spot, and because Justin's a porn performer, just like it clicked over, and he was just like, he had the whole room sold in like ten minutes. But I was just like, I was driving. It was also up. like, it was also like having a built-in laser pointer though for the presentation, right? <laughs> yeah. like, you know, nobody could take their eyes off of it. So right. <laughs> uh, the other thing, well, and then. The, the one that still is crazy to me because of uh, it was one it was during the this pandemic and there were the rules at the time were because we've gone through so many fucking different phases of the rules they finally let us reopen sugar run but we were only open to allowed to be open till 9 p.m and we were only allowed to have 10 people so it was just justin and i hanging out in there and hoping somebody would come in and <laughs> we were just shooting the shit there was nobody there and then uh, all of a sudden I hear he was leaning it back against the back bar. And all of a sudden I hear like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And 
he was on fire. Yeah, we get. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a big uh, I'm a big uh, vintage clothing guy, so I was wearing uh, like an old wool wool shirt. You know, they like peel like at the peely, but yeah, I guess uh, like a candle must have caught caught the end of that and lit the back of my shirt. But I was, I, yeah, I was full on on fire. One hundred percent. I got, and the best part is like. Justin and I both grew up in the era, as you did, of like being told exactly what to do in this situation a million times when you were a kid yeah, in school. Stop, stop drop, and roll. Uh-huh. You think right. you can remember that in those situations? No, or at least no. we couldn't. Like, yeah, that's a. I've come to the conclusion that's completely an ineffective, you know, tool to teach kids because in the moment nobody's stopping and dropping and rolling. I just, I, uh, I Hulk Hogan, I had to Hulk Hogan that yeah, shit off. Yeah, I remember at one yeah, point you're like, get it off of me, get it off of me. You're like, how am I going to grab it? It's on fire. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. But yeah, that one, that's a funny story, but you did fuck up your back pretty bad. So, and you still have scars yeah. and shit, right? Yeah, I got, I got some scars. It looks like somebody took a, a hunk of bacon out of me uh, on the back. But uh, I mean, it could, could have been a lot worse. Just uh, Could have been a lot worse, yeah. Could have been a lot worse, yeah. Um, yeah, but one of those things, I guess. You know, like <laughs> self on fire uh, at work. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Well, that place has been a blessing and a curse. We've had so much shit happen there, literal shit sometimes that we had to shovel out of there um, right. through floods and stuff. But somehow we're all still standing at Sugar Run. I don't know how, but uh, yeah. I mean, I question. <laughs> I mean, a question I have. Um. Let me ask you, actually. As okay, a, that's, that's not really how this show works, but okay. Sorry, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not turning the tables here. I mean, both both the like you know, as a as a, an owner of a spot before when you were owning, you know, Rabbit, like are, are these things commonplace? You know what no, I mean? Like it's just like sugar it's, runs it's interesting. Cursed. We've been yeah, we've been thrown so so many curveballs. It's unbelievable. Yeah. You know. Well, so, and I will say that every place I've owned the, out of the three right now, the there's always problems. Like, right. I, I always say I wake up every morning and I look at my phone with, like, just, like, fear just to see right. what's coming. But so, so we had multiple problems getting open at Rabbit. We had multiple problems when Rabbit was open. I have multiple problems at Babylon. Same thing with the opening of there. But nothing comes anywhere close to Sugar Run. It's like, like it's, if, we, if we make it through a full night without a disaster... Right. It's, it's amazing. And, yeah. and, and and I like to think that we keep it together so the guests don't really know that all this shit's going on. Well, the fucked up thing about it is that, like, it's a, a pretty busy bar and people really love coming there, you know, mm. which is great. And I yes. love, but uh, you should all know that it's killing me slowly. At times, literally, like when I'm on fire. So. Yeah, Janine calls it the middle child uh, because it's literally my middle bar of the three that I've owned, but also like it's got that middle child problems. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, right. always yeah. acting out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. But you know, we also like uh, we took a pretty messed up space. Like, let's be honest, the place where the bar is uh, was never supposed to be anything. No, um, you know, like nothing, nothing inhabitable should have been down there. And mm-hmm. we, we made it inhabitable. So I guess, you know, there are some, it's a very old building as well. There are some innate, innate issues that are going to come with it, I suppose. I just wish we, uh, maybe we, we considered that <laughs> beforehand. Yeah. Well, I feel like we did a little bit, but I also feel like there's some things that no one could have seen coming. Like right. certainly, yeah, it's leaks here and there and plumbing issues. You could kind of expect that to happen in an old building in a basement, the fire, right. the fire rating issue, no one could have seen coming. Like, right. Yeah. Uh, like during the build, that, that right. was going to cost us almost $30,000 to fire rate it properly. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and that was basically because the fire department themselves kept changing their mind about what they were going to be okay with. And then we had the problem with the railing, which was the same thing. Like, I'll never forget. So, we had, there's this, for those of you who haven't been there, shame on you. But do uh, we have like a sort of inverted stage, like a sunken in area in the middle of the bar that we had to put a railing around? Now, there was a railing there already. So, we were just going to reuse that. And then they told us that we couldn't. And then they told us we could. And then. They told us it had to be fortified with um, 
uh, spindles. Spindles, yes, thank you. Uh, and, that, and that was right at the end. We were just about to open, and those spindles, that was going to cost us an extra like $6,000 that we did not have at that point. And I was going back and forth with the building inspector, back and forth with the building inspector. He literally came in, looked at it, measured the depth of the spot in person. He's like, actually, you know, according to code, you don't need a railing at all. And I'm like, are you serious right now? Because I was going to solve all my problems. And he's like, yeah, 100%. I'm like, okay, great. So that's what you're saying? We don't need it? He's like, yep, I can, I'll sign off on that. Uh, I'm just going to get back to the office. I'll email you the signature. You're good to go. You can open. Because this is the last thing we were waiting on. By the time he got, so <laughs> Justin wasn't there at the time, but my contractor and I were there and we're literally like hugging each other. Like, whoa, it's fucking done. <laughs> we don't have to deal with this. As that's happening, I get an email from the building inspector who had, like, I can only assume he had just made it to his car at this point. And he was like, actually, I was rethinking that. You're going to need the full railing. <laughs> this is the shit that was happening to us. Like, what are you talking about? I had to call yeah. the mayor at one point and be like, look, something like you got to help us out here because every time we do what they say they need us to do, they move the goalpost. Like, Right. Uh, and that actually did help with the building inspector came through after that but yeah it was uh it was something else and it's been something else keeping it open this whole time through two years of pandemics and floods and fucking uh, right yeah it's been yeah and uh but the thing is is that we are still here you know yes, and we are. uh yeah, people people are still coming and like that's a that's a good thing and uh you know that's I think there's sadly a lot of businesses that, uh, you know, we all know didn't make it. And quite frankly, we probably only, I think we've maybe only started to see the amount of businesses that are going to close because of the pandemic and because of inflation. And like, uh, we're going we're gonna to see a lot more casualties. Um, mm. So I'm uh, doing my best to consider ourselves pretty lucky, you know, yeah. to still be around. So. I agree. It's a positive way to think about it. It's been an amazing ride. And I think we got a lot more years in us, Justin. So I think so. Thanks, buddy. And thanks for doing the show. Um, Yeah, no problem. Yeah. And uh, being the fact that it's you and me, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> I guess uh, I'll, uh, I'll see you later, and Dan, uh, I'll probably be pouring you a beer shortly, huh? Perfect. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good, man. Thanks very much. All right, man. Yeah, no problem. Time. See you guys.